Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Well, good day. Welcome to Compliance Clarified, the financial services compliance podcast of Thomson Reuters. This is Series 7, Episode 4, and today we'll be talking about the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission's annual list of exam priorities. One of the big documents that shapes the priorities and agenda for, for compliance professionals in the financial services. I'm Randall Mickelson, North American Managing Editor of Regulatory Intelligence, and I'm here with Jason Wallace, Regulatory Intelligence Expert and former Compliance Officer. Jason? Good morning. And with Richard Satrin, Senior Correspondent for Regulatory Intelligence. Hello, Dick. Hello. We are recording today on the morning after the Super Bowl, and we're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And that includes Jason, logging in early from the West Coast. So let's get to it. Dick, I'll start with you. The, the exam priorities document opens with a statement saying, the last several years have been marked by a great deal of tumult and change. Our markets and investors have faced pandemic, geopolitical instability, inflation, and widespread cyber threats. So, you know, how is that kind of opening different from what the U.S. might be have said in the past, and how is it affecting their approach to exam priorities? It really shows that uh, they are focusing on really what they always do, which is what are the current issues, what are the current risks, and the risks could never have been, you know, clearer than over the last few years, mostly uh, outside issues like COVID and the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, but also a huge rule set that the SEC under Gary Gensler has passed and the market factors of crypto. And really, you have to include in that the the huge relief programs that flooded the markets with cash and then flipped the switch and went the other way. So there's a lot of things surfacing that will be really shaping what the priorities are. And I think what the SEC did this year is instead of giving a, a you know a complete laundry list, they, they narrowed the scope to a few things they know are re- really there. The rule changes, the uh, market disruption, uh, ESG, which is uh, one of the big rule changes, ESG, environment, social and governance, issues and metrics that the SEC will use to follow that. Information security, crypto uh, explosion and and emerging technologies. So it's pretty much in front of us. It's not the voluminous number of issues that we sometimes see, but we really have a a much more focused list than in the past because the things that we're dealing with have, have really emerged strongly over the last couple of years. And so there's a, a much clearer start to this year for the industry and people really should know it. Okay. I, I think it's I think it's really interesting that uh, you know there's kind of an ebb and flow. Sometimes it's the internal factors they're looking at, things like conduct and so forth and so on. But but this year they're really emphasizing this these uh, external factors on on the industry and how they are affect, affecting compliance. Yeah, that, that's that's true, Randy. But I I would also add that one of the biggest issues is the huge 
number of rules that have been passed over the last, really the last year, and will be coming into play. So there are some of some of the work has been invented or created by the SEC. All right, and we'll get into that um, with Jason. And and uh, Jason, um, can you kind of give us some summaries uh, in a bit of detail on what practices and you know, what uh, rules are facing extra attention this year? Sure. As Dick mentioned, um, the focus on new rules is definitely present in this year's exam priorities list. Um, the SEC presented what they call notable new and significant focuses um, for this year. And one of them um, that we've heard a lot about is the newly modernized advisor marketing rule. I consider that the hottest topic of the year. Uh, and now that uh, advisors are able to use testimonials, endorsements, enhanced performance reporting and third-party rankings uh, subject to certain conditions. The SEC will uh, look at these expanded avenues of marketing. Um, They will expect to see increased records and new disclosures. And the SEC uh, quoted it as saying it's, it's a significant change to a core examination review area for registered investment advisors. And in the document itself, they uh, mentioned some specific uh, rule-specific areas, including um, implementing written policies and procedures, um, looking at many of the main and new requirements of the rule, including the ability to substantiate material statements and policies and procedures with those new avenues. Um, And secondly, uh, advisors to private funds. Um, That's another priority that is mentioned within the unique and significant focuses this year. It is a perennial priority. However, the SEC noted the huge increased number of advisors to private funds in the past five years have been an 80% increase. Gross assets have exceeded $21 trillion. And with that uh, large increase, the SEC will focus on their conflicts of interest, calculations of fees, and interestingly, um, uh, in reference to advertising, uh, advisors to private funds often advertise, in specific, often use performance advertising. So that will be a priority for the SEC to review those types of advertisements and whether they're in compliance. And I, I think, Jason, we, we spoke in one of our earlier podcasts about about that, uh, those the performance claims, the marketing rule, how how firms don't necessarily have to prove what they're saying is is accurate, but have to prove that they had a reason to believe it's accurate. Is that right? Is that how that works? That's right. They have the ability to, uh, to act reasonably in the belief that their statements are true. So in many cases, though, however, um, they will look for records to prove those statements or at least to support them. Okay. So it sounds like a big loophole, but it might not Really, I mean, they, they might have to have pretty good documentation. Right, making making claims is something that the SEC will review, and you, a firm, should be prepared to to stand by those. If I can add to uh, Jason, so write about this. He's been writing about it a lot. It, it, it's it's the disclosure issue is really important. The SEC thinks there's been a kind of a, a sea change on that. I think because they're not going after. Uh, deep fraud. They're they're going after this massive confusion that all this change has brought about, and the things that people are doing as investors, and not just the little guy, 
big guys too, professionals, investing in things that are not transparently clear. What are they investing in when they buy crypto? What are the guarantees that what they're being sold is what what is really there? So the disclosure is really central to everything they're doing. Now, one of the things that they, uh, one of the the ways in which the SEC is seeking to compel more clarity is through this form CRS, right? Whether you're a broker dealer or investment advisor or what or whatever, you've got to s- describe for your clients very clearly what your business is about and what you're doing for them. Can can you talk about how that will be examined for this year? Mm-hmm, sure. Most recently, Finra released their exam results and found deficiencies, well, multiple deficiencies in broker-dealer form CRSs. Um, form CRSs has, has become a priority that has been around since Reg BI uh, was adopted, and it's become a co- core examination feature. Um, in, in specific, the SEC noted that they will expect firms to deliver their relationship summaries, which is also the Form CRS, to new and prospective retail clients as well as existing retail clients, file the summary with the SEC and post it on the firm's public website if it has one. So you can see that those items that they have mentioned are very core to the document and frankly, uh, pretty simple components of it. So unfortunately, many of the firms that have had uh, exam deficiency, they're rather uh, remedial, I guess you could say, in terms of form CRS. So it's kind of basic compliance, but they just have been overlooking it or have been, haven't been doing it. Right, and, and simply following the directions. So read the manual as, as the uh, slogan goes. Um, right. A lot <laughs> of advisors, Jason, are, are registered with states instead of the, secure, the Federal uh, Securities and Exchange Commission. How, how are they affected by this? by the SEC's priorities? In many cases, uh, states will see many of the same issues as priorities. So um, state advisors should be prepared for many of the same uh, priorities during their upcoming examinations. Okay. So so they kind of take their cue, the states take their cues from the SEC? Yeah. And advertising, of course, is, is such a large change uh, to the rule. That will most likely be on the forefront of all of the, all of the exams, whether it's state or SEC at this point. Thanks for that. Uh, Dick, there's there's been a lot of structural changes going on in the industry in the last few years. Um, can you describe those and how how those structural changes might be affecting the, the SEC's approach to its examinations and, and how that in turn will affect compliance? Yes, the change has been pretty dramatic if you consider the meme stock trading, the day trading that hit the market in 2021. The number of retail investors, largely because of places like Robinhood that offer zero commission trading, has gone from, I'm saying roughly 12 or 13% of, of trading or even less to 25% which means millions of new people entering the market with a very different way of trading. Fractional shares, just a a small number, a percentage of a share uh, that might be $300. It really is changing the way the markets behave. And it's, it's really all over the place. It's algorithmic trading that's been there for a while. 
dark pools that that a lot of the trades go through. So it's the SEC is in some quarters being accused for you know making up new rules just to annoy people, but in fact they are working on updating the mark the market rules to reflect the, the incredible amount of change that's gone on without any rules in place and when the rules aren't in place people make it up as they go along and bad practices slip in and abusive practices so th- that's really what it's about is catching up with technology that has transform the market. And I think you've spoken too of kind of specializing by function. How, how does that work? What And how does that affect compliance? Uh, Industries like the one that Jason just mentioned, private securities has exploded. So, but the technology enables all kinds of new, new products, complex products, and they're complex for the brokers as well. And they don't want to get caught out with a brokerage force that's a sales force that's selling stuff they don't understand. So they're tending to focus on things that they know really well so they don't get tripped up. So let's look at some specific uh, topics. They talked about examining for compliance with Reg BI. What are we likely to see there? The SEC, mostly FINRA, which regulates the brokerage industry, but the SEC and FINRA will be traveling to firms together, looking at whether brokers are really working in the best interest of clients and looking at things like complex products that nobody understands. And that includes crypto. If you're selling crypto, you're going to have to have a lot of disclosure in place for people about the risks and about the liquidity, meaning can the crypto be traded both ways. Can it be bought and sold? Some firms are just selling. They're they're not giving people a way to to get out in any real sense. So RigBI is making the broker really think, first of all, about what they're selling, but also who they're selling to. And that came through in one of the top items that the SEC listed that I've never seen before. They included retail customers, but they specifically broke out working families. And the the, the point there was to tell brokers, you got to know, is this person employed in a job where he's going to be working a long time? Or is this person nearing retirement? Or is this person early career? So it says a lot about the risk profile. And every firm has to do a risk profile on all of their customers. And when they get the risk profile done, they have to feed it into their surveillance systems that track the trades of the entire brokerage force. So they've got to know if somebody is selling a a 65-year-old person a long-term investment that, for instance, might go beyond their lifespan. So they have to factor all of these things into every trade. And there was an impression, I think, early on that Reg BI would just be a general mass rule that you kind of have to pay attention to. But no, they're going account by account, transaction by transaction, to make sure that whatever the people are being sold is intended for their interest to help them build their savings and not to make the firm more profitable. 
Will they also be looking like at the innards of the the surveillance systems? You know how how they're making sure they're that um, investment goals are being honored. That's a great point, Randy. The, the people have surveillance systems. They've had them for a long time within the firms, the the brokerage firms, the uh, investment advisors. Yep, they have to do that, or they really can't. It's hard to be in business. But instead of the transaction, simple transaction that they might have been tracking in the past, they're going to have to put that in a full context. So they're going to look at uh, the surveillance systems that are used by all the firms when they go in on inspections and look for those specific terms, the age of the client, the uh, wealth of the client, the employment record, the history, the number of family members, the kinds of permission that that client has set up for the broker to execute trades. It's a it's a complex picture, but the people I talk to in the technology biz, all I know is what I've covered for years is that they have a lot of capability to set things up once they know what the parameters are. So that's what the brokers have to work on. And if you're a, a customer, you should be talking with your broker about, this is what I really want. I want to make it clear. I don't want junk bonds. I do want crypto, if that's what you want. So so that they're clear on what you want. And that can be easily put into a monitoring system. It's not rocket science anymore. And, and I think you've written about their revived or increased interest, the SEC's increased interest in making sure that compliance is tailored to the company's own business model or you know business profile. What, what have you seen in there that's, that uh, supports that? SEC is telling people you, you have to work on your own knowledge set, your own intellectual property to really know what your capabilities are. And if you're selling something that your sales force does not understand, you have to get your training programs up to date. That's that's some work. That's more work than feeding some data into your surveillance set, which by the way, is, is because of the cloud, is pretty much off the shelf stuff for a lot of people. That could also cloud-based, uh, networked, functionality that everybody relies upon, that raises the, the concern over cyber. So are, are you running a system that has risk of, of a breach? And how do you interface with clients to limit that risk? Those are things they will definitely be looking at. Dick, I'm going to ask you to move into crypto. Uh, federal regulators have have yet to... Um adopt uh you know a new regulatory format for for digital assets and cryptocurrencies but they seem to be viewing the sector with increasing uh concern or alarm uh we, we know the fed the banking regulators are are telling banks to to be you know clear about their exposure to cryptos um how, how is the SEC uh, and and the the FINRA examiners they oversee taking viewing digital assets to the crypto sector from an exam perspective? Well, it, this is kind of the Wizard of Oz phenomenon. I mean, what's behind the curtain, and what are you really selling? The blow up of FTX platform, uh, uh, crypto exchange, and 
run by the wonderkind uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, was really the pivotal event. This was supposed to be the most legitimate, best-run, above-board operation out there. And it had a lot of backing in, in Washington, a lot of friends in Washington. Bankman-Fried had a dozen trips to the SEC in, the, I believe, the six or seven weeks before his firm went up in smoke. So what the realization was is that a lot of what was assumed to be in place to protect people was just chit-chat. And one of the uh, SEC's top examiners from San Francisco got on a conference, uh, of the SEC's conference call for the compliance industry not long ago and said she had been doing examinations of firms that are in the crypto business that had no controls at all. There were people who had the keys that run, that give you the ownership to the crypto assets who were taking the keys home and keeping them in, you know, in their own, on their own desktops, their own laptops, rather than in a central place that could be looked at by the SEC, or at least could be examined by the SEC. So it, it, this business has turned out to be a lot more talk than action, and it has become one of the biggest priorities of the SEC is to look at the controls and see what you're doing to protect people. It's not just the crypto firms, right? They'll, they'll be looking at uh, traditional broker dealers and, and investment advisors. I, I'm seeing in the... Uh, in the exam document, they say ex examinations of registrants will focus on the offer, sale, recommendations of, or advice regarding trading in crypto and crypto-related assets. Um, so if you're a traditional financial services house and, and offer cryptos to clients, they'll be looking at that. And, and they'll be looking at whether they followed their uh, standards of care and making recommendations, uh, looking at things like even referrals, investment advice, and also just looking at the, the compliance and risk management practices. So even if you're not a crypto firm, you can expect to be asked about it, it seems. I think custody too also will, will play a part in that. And I know, I think um, just to piggyback a little bit on, on Dick's comments, I think that the SEC and, and FINRA are learning a lot at this time how firms are handling um, these types of crypto and, and things like that. And I think there's a learning phase and I think firms need to take a look at it and, and really break down their processes and create some policies and procedures to protect them and, and their customers. Jason, is it your feeling that, that traditional advisors and, and brokers are still a little wary of, of getting involved with offering cryptos to their, to their customers? Or, or allowing their customers to, to purchase them. Yes, I think especially on the investment advisor side, there's there's still a lot of questions about it um, as far as the procedures internally, how they'll be handled, how the assets under management. You know, there's just so many questions, and I think that uh, there'll be a it's kind of, it's quite a learning phase at this point, um, and unfortunately, some of the learning will be done with enforcement cases. And it, it sounds like even if it, even if a client comes in your door and says, I, I want to buy cryptos and you say, well, I don't, but you can get them from 
you know, company XYZ that the SEC is going to be looking at that referral and say, did you use proper uh, uh, analysis in, in making that referral? Right, right. And have what the ongoing relationship looks like and so on. It goes to what the brokerage industry has always been in the investment advisor business. It's a, a relationship business. And if you have clients who are itching to get into crypto and think there's big bargains out there because its prices have fallen so much, and you talk to your financial advisor, the advisor doesn't want to lose you and doesn't want to say to you, well, I don't know what that stuff is. They're going to say, yeah, I know somebody in that. As soon as they do that, as soon as they refer somebody to another firm, that's considered a violation of almost every firm's policy and almost not a complete ban by the SEC, but close to it. You are doing an outside business activity when you make that referral. And that could be a, a pretty serious violation that could get you suspended or barred if you do it thoughtlessly. There are ways to do that. You have to tell your firm you're referring somebody to another firm. And if you do, that's got to be recorded with every other transaction. And that just I'll stop for a second on that, just because referrals have become a huge issue. Referrals, account openings, that's where the pedal hits the metal. Going way back to when the D Department of Labor proposed the a fiduciary rule for the nation's savings, uh, a, a retirement savings. What kind of account are you going to give people? What kind of treatment are you going to give people? And do they understand what you're selling them is to their benefit and to your firm's benefit? That's got to be made clear. Jason, in the uh, again in the exam document, uh, the the head of the exam unit, uh, Richard Best, says uh, we will emphasize compliance with new SEC rules applicable to investment advisors and investment companies, uh, as well as continue our focus on emerging issues and rules aimed at protecting retail investors. Um, what are some of those new rules, and and uh, what will they be looking for? Well, again, to circle back, probably the main uh, new, a newish rule is the marketing rule, um, the investment advisor marketing rule. The SEC has noted that exams uh, will be focusing on that new rule. So firms, um, one must be prepared to present proper documentation, disclosures, and be prepared to present uh their advertisement or marketing and how they are keeping it compliant with the rule. The SEC will take specific attention on those types of advertising pieces, one such as testimonials, which were prohibited in the past. In addition, they've noted that there's uh, some focus on the derivatives rule for investment companies and the fair valuation rule as well. Yeah, the derivatives rule, it sounds like what that that was adopted in a couple of years ago and and it clarified a bunch of no action letters that allowed funds to to incorporate derivatives right and it, it sounds like if you run a, a derivatives based fund or fund with derivatives in it you, you better have good risk management practices and, and that the SEC will be looking at those right and looking at board oversight and disclosures concerning the fund's use 
uh, ensure, essentially making sure that they aren't uh, misleading. Okay. And, and fair, the fair valuation rule, what can you say about that? It's just, uh, I mean, they're mostly going to assess the fund and the fund's board's compliance with the new requirements um, when they determine fair value as far as the duties of the board, record keeping, uh, designate valuation, designees to perform the fair value determination. And the SEC said that, that it will review whether adjustments have been made to valuation methodologies, compliance policies and procedures, governance practices, and so on. So it's just looking for the um, compliance with the rule and the and the new components of that. I know we we've been reporting on on kind of an increased interest in in the valuation techniques um, um, and methods. They seem to be in accounting. They seem to be placing more attention on that in general. Well, it's because uh, really the complexity of the products, including crypto, and the lack of liquidity, it means it's really hard to say at a given point in time what a, a, a crypto ETF, I mean, there's a nominal notional value, but behind crypto, you know, what, you have a notional value, but what would it really trade at if you had to sell it right now? So that kind of thing gets very difficult and it's difficult even at the best of times to do that for every account and every for every security, but really hard when you're talking about the kinds of things people are selling now. Mm-hmm. And that and that also ties to the to private funds um, that have certain specifics like highly leveraged private funds and private funds that hold hard to value investments like crypto and real estate type investments. So that's also uh, on their list of priorities. Yeah, it's, I find it interesting. They're, they're looking you know, really scrutinizing portfolio strategies and so forth. And um, again, it looks like they're lifting the hood and pouring under the hood. Yes, that's true. And if you are trying to comply with what the SEC wants, you have to do a lot of work just to take a complex product, a service, and explain it in a very small amount of space. I mean, maybe... Chat GPT will be the vehicle people use to like shorten or uh, sharpen um, the millions of documents out there. It's going to be a challenge. The SEC, I think, wisely honed in on a message that's it's very simple, but speaking concisely and clearly to all these issues, that's not simple. It means you've got to be able to understand it before you. That's a great point. You have to understand it yourself, and that's the challenge. And you have to explain it in clear language without conditional terms like may and might. This might happen or may happen. Jason and I have talked about this a bit as one of the challenges. Yeah, we see that in a lot of disclosure documents, prospectuses, things like that, right? That, you know, you, you may lose all your money. or And that's that can be okay in some cases, but the SEC has taken scores of enforcement actions against people who minimized or deflected the amount of risk that their products might have for clients by saying, well, it might be a problem when they know there's a problem. They know that this will happen. It has happened. It's not a theoretical. It's not a hypothetical. It's a factual. So that's another of the things that is out there that's going to be important this year. 
So putting may in a document sounds like a big red flag now for inviting further scrutiny. It's been for a while. And the SEC doesn't apply it themselves. The regulation best interest rule, I think, had 250 instances where a may or a might was part of the rule. And over the entire sales practice rule set, I think we found 600 mays or mights. So it's people trying to come up with definite statements in the industry are dealing with statements that are not so clear from the regulator. So it's a bit of a circle game. There's a lot of gray areas. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jason, I'm going to ask you uh, to give us your quick tips on preparing for an exam and making it go easy. I, I know that the exam is a, uh, you know, an annual highlight of a compliance professional's uh, work year and career. How do you make a success of that? Well, what I would always said and, and have always said to, to clients is the SEC request list. That's the document that the SEC will uh, send to you upon um, the start of an exam, uh, whether it be in person or remote. Uh, and there'll be different sizes. Some will be larger than others, depending on if they're honing in on a particular topic. Yeah, are they custom tailored to the firm? They can be. Mm-hmm. Um, usually there's just a few variations. Um, different areas in the country will have their own variation of things. But in most cases, it's relatively similar. Um, and those request lists can be uh, usually uh, ascertained from... You know, compliance consulting firm you may be working with or an attorney or even just a simple Google search, you'll find a relatively uh, fresh version. And if you go through that and map that to your policies and procedures, meaning, uh, you know, where is your marketing? What type of marketing have you done? Well, you can map it to what file that is contained in the type of marketing that's done. And that will be an ongoing document. And then when you do get that call or, or email for an examination, you'll be ready because you will have already documented that and make it essentially a living document. That can be the best way to prepare for any type of exam. And Jason, you've, you've always said, I know, you know, make it a collaboration. Don't create a hostile environment. You know, we, t- we talked about the case where the firm didn't even put chairs out and, and made the examiner stand and, and, and discuss the, the issues. Right. Um, I think in some cases, people think if they make the exam difficult, it's going to be easier uh, for the examiners. But that's uh, it's not the case. Well, I think especially, Jason, with all these new rules, they know they're new. They know it's going to be a back and forth more than maybe it's been in the past. The rules are voluminous and scary, but they're scary for everybody. And it's going to be a process. Yeah. And the SEC is one that uh, gives you a, a chance in a lot of cases. Um, you know, to fix things on site. Um, and, and if you don't, then it will, it will create a letter, uh, an action letter to, to fix certain items. But make it as easy as possible for them to do their job. They'll be in and out quicker. And, and it pays to be a good host, huh? Right. <laughs> Leave those chairs, yeah. You're, you're all there for the same reason. You want to make things better for investors. Okay. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's time to wrap up this episode of Compliance Clarified. Um, I'm going to put a couple uh, links to a couple articles that go into more detail about the exam priorities and and issues we discussed. 
Um, I would also encourage you to check out our Outlook 2023 series on regulatory intelligence. Uh, we, we wrapped that up in January, giving um, an overview of, of major issues and, and compliance uh, concerns for the year ahead. I'll also include a link for further information on Thomson Reuters regulatory intelligence. Uh, that's where we come from. It's the news and information workflow tool uh, for compliance professionals uh, from Thomson Reuters. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with more from Compliance Clarified. Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.